Welcome to Running Off the Rails. My name is Raymond O'Connor. And I'm Ariel Rasco. And today we'll be discussing betrayal, specifically player character betrayal. What happens when one of the players at your table wants to have their character turn against the other players at the table? I think pretty obviously this is a very risky thing to do at your table. Tensions are going to be running high, could be easy for somebody to have a bad time. But at the same time, it could be one of the most exciting moments in a campaign. And we think it's worth discussing how you can do this in a successful way and some pitfalls you might want to avoid. It's common wisdom to avoid betrayals at the Dungeons & Dragons table. They have a reputation for players getting hurt on a personal level at the table, as opposed to just being upset because perhaps something didn't go their way in the story. And sometimes the future of your Dungeons & Dragons group can be hanging in the balance. I agree with that a lot, actually. This idea that like a betrayal could hurt you personally. I think if somebody's rude to me while we're playing Dungeons & Dragons, it makes me feel like they're being rude. It doesn't make me feel like they're playing in character, at least a lot of the time. So I agree that avoiding this makes a lot of sense. But also, if you look at some great stories in our media and in our movies, you have amazing betrayals happening that are the climax of these huge plots. You can look at the Fellowship of the Ring, Boromir's betrayals, trying to steal the ring from Frodo is the climax of the movie, and it's a moment that I think people for generations keep coming back to as a great betrayal. Anakin and Star Wars, you know, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, two of the biggest franchises ever, are really building up to these incredible betrayal moments. Anakin betraying Obi-Wan in the third movie is, you know, the whole reason that the prequels exist, I think. So playing through these fantasies, getting fantasy fulfillment of this kind, I think could be really meaningful at the table. The reason why I came to Ariel with this topic today is because I actually just betrayed my party in my Tomb of Annihilation game, and it went really well. It was very dramatic, and at the end, I asked the other players at the table how it felt for them, because I was really interested in knowing if I had broken the social contract at the table. I was very nervous to try to pull off a betrayal because of all of the horror stories I've read about and seen. And they shared that it was this awesome moment for them that one of the other players, Sam, was actually rooting for my character uh, because he empathized so deeply with their motivations and why he was betraying the group, uh, which I thought was really funny because it was actually his character was one of the characters that was being betrayed. So it really got me thinking, why did this betrayal feel so similar to the portrayals that we see in fiction, where it's this awesome narrative turn that we're building across this campaign. And I think that what it comes down to at the end of the day is whether or not it feels personal. Does it feel like one player at the table is trying to win in a way that other players at the table can't also win? I think when a player becomes antagonistic in this way or adversarial in this way, it breaks the social contract that is implicit whenever we sit down to play Dungeons and Dragons. I think that's a great point, Ray. We talk a lot about how as a DM, your goal is not to be playing versus the players, it's to be playing with them. I think a betrayal can be the exact same thing. You know your table better than we do. I think you can always figure out 
what's kind of appropriate for your table and figure out how you're going to increase the fun for everybody. So just starting from this idea that you're going to try to betray the party to play Dungeons and Dragons with them rather than to try to beat them at the game of Dungeons and Dragons is a great place to start if you're looking for a successful encounter. Ray really keyed into something that I think is important when you're talking about narrative. You don't necessarily want a betrayal to happen just spontaneously in combat. If you give people a little bit more space to interact with you in a roleplay moment rather than in a combat moment, it gives space for everybody to react and come to terms with the betrayal. And I think you can do that best if you're working with the DM. The DM is helping you set up these narrative plot points such that there's going to be an opportune moment. You know, there's like 50 different betrayals in Pirates of the Caribbean, and they're always talking about the opportune moment. If you're working with the DM, timing is on your side. And having good timing for a betrayal is a huge part of not screwing the other players over, but actually playing Dungeons and Dragons with them. Absolutely, Ariel. The first thing that you should do if you're a player who's interested in pulling off a successful betrayal, and when we say successful, we mean a betrayal that is celebrated by the group of players, not just you are able to betray another person at the table successfully and kill their player character and successfully alienate them from the group. We mean success in terms of the group remembers this moment as this awesome moment that occurred in the campaign. The first thing to do if you want to achieve this goal is to speak with the dungeon master. I have a hard time imagining a scenario where anyone were to pull off a successful betrayal if they haven't at least shared their idea that they might or might not do something with the dungeon master a little bit ahead of time, or shared the character motivations at the very least, such that the DM could have potentially seen it coming or that the betrayal makes sense to the dungeon master based on what they know about your character's backstory. Yeah, I think this is maybe obvious advice to you, which probably means you're doing great and you're having a lot of fun with your DM making plans. But even if it's obvious, we wanted to get that out there. Planning out a betrayal with the DM, I don't think makes it any less special or surprising or exciting, even if a few people know about it. But I do think there is a way to actually plan with your DM, or at least I have a recommendation for how to plan with your DM. Coming with a fully planned out beginning, middle, and end to your betrayal, I think is a antithetical to D&D. You know, D&D is about going through and role-playing in the moment. If you want to let things play out at the table, you shouldn't have a middle and end to your story. The end of your story should be up in the air. Creating a backstory and a setup for how you're going to betray the party, in my experience, works better than just trying to have a whole story already planned out. I think we see this a lot in Dungeons & Dragons in general. Trying to know exactly how the story is going to play out is almost always a bad idea. We see it with Dungeon Masters all the time. Your players don't want to take the path that you set for them through the adventure. They're going to want to meander and take detours and take the scenic route in a lot of cases to railroad them such that they take the path that you planned will lead to a probably much less fulfilling Dungeons & Dragons experience. If you're trying to do this as the player, you don't even have the DM privilege that allows you to build the world such that it forces the players to go in a very specific direction. If you're trying to force the story down a very specific 
path, it's not going to go well. So to your point, Ariel, I think that you are setting yourself up for success if instead of thinking of the story that is going to unfold at the table and planning it sessions and sessions and sessions ahead of time, thinking in chunks about your motivations, what is going to align you with the party for the most part, and thinking about what types of events could occur that would cause your motivations to no longer align with the party suddenly, such that the betrayal occurs very naturally and organically at the table and makes sense to everyone involved. Because presumably, the players know about your motivations. So when at the table, the plot element is revealed to everybody that is going to cause the betrayal, Presumably, the other players at the table could have seen your betrayal coming because maybe they've had some conversations with your character about what motivates them. If the players at the table know that your character is maybe this wizard that is most motivated by power, when all of a sudden they are offered immense power by perhaps the villain, it will not be surprising to the members of the party when your character accepts that offer and betrays the party. I love this point so much of a player railroading the other players. It's definitely silly, and I think that that is sort of the trap you can fall into if you are setting up all these different plans for betrayal. When you talk about it like that, like player railroading, I think it shows that it doesn't make a ton of sense in the structure of tabletop role-playing games. I also really like this idea you're talking about, Ray, of using motivations so that betrayals feel natural at the table. Players accept the betrayal because they're ready for it and it makes sense in the moment. It's narrative. All the things make a lot of sense to me and are kind of framing this discussion in a way that I like where your betrayal characteristic is a background element. So in D&D, you can choose all kinds of backgrounds, like you could be a noble or an acolyte. I like the idea that your background, in some sense, is how you think of your betrayal possibility. It's something that you're bringing to the table that is going to play out. I actually had a group of friends also go through a betrayal really recently that I thought fit this mold perfectly. During character creation, one player was an undercover cop and the other player was an undercover criminal. And they were both working in a group of mercenaries who were like well positioned to find a really powerful item. And so in this case, when they get to the item at the very end, the backstory comes out. The undercover cop reveals himself and the undercover criminal reveals themselves. And the DM has really no idea of how exactly this is going to play out. But you've had the chance throughout the campaign to detect thoughts, get an insight on your friends, maybe roleplay some of the undercover stuff that's happening. And you could even have your players see the conversations with an undercover cop at the table such that there's meta knowledge, like the players know that there's an undercover cop, but the characters don't. And you can do all these things with the background and they make a lot of sense. If this undercover cop came to the DM and had a whole story planned out where they needed everything to go just so, then the other player having a background with, you know, undercover criminal would have messed up all the plans for everybody. So I think setting the stage and having an open mind allows you to work together with other people at the table such that everybody can have their own backstory moment rather than kind of taking the main character place in the stage. 
I wanted to jump back really quickly to you talking about background betrayals because it made me think about those iconic betrayals that we were talking about in the beginning of the episode. Boromir's betrayal is not a premeditated alliance with Sauron that causes him to try and steal the ring. He shares openly throughout the course of the story how much responsibility he feels to go and defend Gondor and how badly they need resources and power to defend themselves. So when we see Boromir decide that it's time to take the ring for himself such that he can take it home and do good with it, use the power for good to defeat the forces of darkness, it feels so much more realistic. It feels so much more plausible. We could have seen it coming. And that's the secret of every good mystery novel or every good mystery movie. If you can go back through and watch it again and realize, oh, if only I had been paying attention to the right details, I could have told you that this betrayal was going to happen. It doesn't feel satisfying as a betrayal when there's no way that anyone could have seen it coming. It almost feels unfair or like a trick or that you've been forced into something, railroaded into something, and there was nothing that you could do to prevent it. You had no agency to stop it. Yeah, I think that's a great point that foreshadowing and feeling like you could have known is a great part of these classic betrayals. And if you can get that to play out at the table where everybody has this aha moment like, oh, of course we should have seen it coming, really feels like they had agency. Having a betrayal where the players felt like they could have stopped it in some way, they could have seen it coming, they could have planned for this, I think is really cool. And it's going to be a great moment at your table. But when Ray was telling me about his betrayal, I actually thought it was a good example of actually writing out a beginning, middle, and end. So to tease out the details a little bit more of your betrayal, Ray, there's this character that's a witch that can resurrect people, and you were going to betray the party to resurrect somebody. Is that right? Yeah, so we're playing in Tomb of Annihilation. (laughs) There's going to be minor spoilers for Tomb of Annihilation in this story, so uh, if you don't want to hear those, maybe skip ahead a few minutes. In Tomb of Annihilation, there's a death curse that stops all creatures in Faerun from being resurrected. It's also a notoriously deadly campaign. We're level five, and already three player characters have died during the course of the campaign. But during the adventure, you find out that there is a Baba Yaga-type witch who is capable of raising the dead. However, you find out that in order for her to resurrect one life, she needs to consume the life of another living creature. So you're able to trade lives instead of just reviving or resurrecting people. I started playing a new character named Backdagger, a goblin assassin rogue who joined the party recently, a few sessions ago. Their backstory is that their goblin clan was mostly killed and they were the lone survivor. They share these details with the party upon meeting them. Oh, I had all of these clan members. I miss them dearly. They're all dead now. I need to go and find more goblins to bring back from other goblin clans, otherwise my goblin clan is going to collapse. So the players know what my character's motivations are. Now we find out about this witch 
who is capable of trading lives for the lives of others. We get to the city where she's situated, and we get into a combat with some undead before we get to encounter her. The players decide that they need to rest before they go and confront this witch because they're planning on killing her. So they create a Liamin's tiny hut, and they start resting. It's very normal for my goblin character to go out scouting while the other characters are resting, so the players don't really think anything of it, he's just going scouting. But then my character has an opportunity to have a conversation with this witch where he asks her if it's true. If he were able to provide her with the lives of five other individuals, could she bring back his goblin clan? And that's when it dawns on the other players who are sitting at the table, oh my god, Ray, Ray is going to try and betray us to bring back his long-lost goblin clan, Ray is going to try and collude with this villain who we were about to go and try and kill to try and bring back his friends. First thing I think is great about this is that all the other players at the table are hearing your conversation and it's dawning on them that this betrayal is about to happen. I think that's super cool. But just to get into this idea of a beginning, middle, and end and having a full story of betrayal already set up, you're going to set up this possibility that you could kill the party and use that to resurrect your goblin friends. But in reality, you expect not to TPK the party. You think that would be a little bit unfun. And a more fun result would be for your character to be knocked unconscious. And then the party would have an opportunity to sacrifice this betrayer and resurrect one of their previously felled party members. And I think this would be a really good beginning, middle, and end to a short story arc in your campaign, where one player character dies, you meet a new player character, you go on a short adventure together, and at the end of adventure, they betray you, and you use them to bring back the felled party member from before. It's a really cool story. So I think there are a few things going on here that allow you to do this betrayer setup in a really fun way. One of them is that the story is pretty short. You're not going through and having a character that's been with the party for the long time and really blowing up the party dynamic after a long campaign. I mean, that could definitely be a lot of fun. But certainly, I think, if we're talking about avoiding pitfalls, I think this is a good way to do it. Just have a, a small character arc where you meet somebody and it turns out that they're a betrayer. And I, I think you did this in a really great way, too, Ray, where you're a little bit foreshadowing. The players know your motivations. They're not going to be too surprised. But also, you didn't necessarily have the intent to betray them when you first met the party. It's when you heard about this witch, and you heard about the resurrection, that the betrayal ideal really came into your mind. That's exactly the case. When the session of Dungeons & Dragons ended, where we first learned about this power, it dawned on me. I had to, I had to message Ben and tell him, Oh my god, if given the opportunity my character would totally try and trade the party for his goblin friends. And then Ben, our DM, was like, oh my god, this is amazing, because I was so afraid that you were going to meet this witch and not even consider doing the life trade because it strikes the group as maybe too obviously evil, and they wouldn't have someone who they felt comfortable sacrificing, someone who felt like... Uh, they had deserved to be traded for the life of another. So your point is exactly true, Ariel, where when I struck out on this plan to maybe betray the party, if the right opportunity arose, 
I was not imagining this glorious moment where my new player character wiped out all of the other player characters that they've been playing since the dawn of the campaign. I was imagining this awesome betrayal moment that was surprising, but then in doing so, giving the party implicit permission to get Backdagger back. He was going to try and sacrifice them. It's only right now that the shoe is on the other foot and they were victorious that they could sacrifice him to get their friend back. Whereas if Backdagger hadn't done the betrayal in the first place, the other characters are probably too moral to sacrifice this poor goblin who's lost all of his friends. I think this is a really awesome moment and to kind of bring this together, my advice in general for trying to player railroad, like I think Ray is doing a little bit of player railroading here, would be to set aside a short arc for it. I think the more sessions you have where you're trying to railroad something into existence, the more you have to use your powers as a DM or in use your power as a player, I guess, to do things that aren't natural. So try to keep it a short arc where there aren't too many different variables popping up. And to really think about the goal of your betrayal being fun for the party and, and fun for you as well. Ray here is talking about something that he's going to remember forever. It's a really cool character arc, but he's thinking from the lens of what the party's going to get out of it, how everybody at the table is going to enjoy this experience. So I think those two things are the advice that I would give. And then the third thing, most obviously, talk to the DM about it. As soon as you have this idea, your DM is going to be able to help you make it a reality instead of you trying to figure it out all on your own. So even when you're doing a betrayal in a way that I wouldn't necessarily start with, I think it's working out anyways, and it's going to be a lot of fun for everyone at the table. And to your point, Ariel, it probably only feels like a railroad because this idea that I had actually came to fruition. But when I was messaging Ben about this possibility, that's all it ever was. It was just a possibility. If the players had decided to go straight from the undead encounter to going to fight this Baba Yaga character, my goblin would have never had the opportunity to sneak away and have this conversation. And I need to be completely comfortable with the idea that, hey, it was a cool idea that could have happened at the table, but that's not how Dungeons and Dragons works. You don't get to decide what happens. You get to maybe think about cool possibilities that might happen that better prepare you to act on opportunities that could or could not arise. That's a great point, Ray. I think maybe railroad is too strong of a term and really you're just putting together a plan and having a plan that, you know, involves the DM and pushes the players in a direction is is really great. And you're definitely not taking away player agency. I think in this example, you didn't do anything that took away their agency at all. So I think that's a great point. And I just want to even maybe double down a little bit more uh, because I think, Ariel, your point is exactly correct. How can I give the other players more agency to interact with this plot development that I decided was going to happen because I took action while my goblin was out scouting? But I had this conversation in front of the other players because I trust them to do the best thing for the story with that information. When my goblin came back from scouting, the other player characters were acting very casually to me. My goblin had stolen something before he had ran away, and one of the other players confronted him. He's like, come on, Backdagger, give it up. And Backdagger was acting really suspiciously. 
He was answering questions with short one-word answers and stammering and being like just so suspicious to the point where the wizard in the party was like, Backdagger's being really weird. We're in this really dangerous situation. He was just outside alone. I'm going to cast detect thoughts on him to find out what's going on. And that was an awesome and narratively appropriate way for the other characters to uncover the betrayal, the betrayal that did happen and was successful because it surprised the other players while they were experiencing it at the table before negative consequences impacted the party in a very serious way. So we got to capture all of the delicious story elements of the betrayal. The betrayal happens in the story without any player characters having to die at the table or or without any players at the table losing a character that they care deeply about, without them being able to take action based on this new information that I've presented to them. Yeah, I think this is a great example of having a beginning and a middle, where if somebody's going to have detect thoughts as a spell and they can cast it on you because you're purposefully being a little suspicious, now you're letting the die really interfere with the end of your story. If you succeed on the saving throw or don't succeed on the saving throw, it has big implications for how this story is going to play out. And this idea of being open to multiple endings, I think, is really great. So I definitely love this idea of foreshadowing and playing long term with your party and not just totally hiding every detail because you think it'll be cool. But all that being said, it's towards the end of the episode, so I do want to get out my crazier advice. I would also play in a group of people where we totally sprang a betrayal on the party and it was like intense and everyone had a possibility of dying. A few different ways I would do that. One, I think if it were a really mini campaign, only going to be four sessions ever, like this could be super fun and weird and you get to laugh about it and forget about it if it didn't go well or it gets to be one of the greatest little mini campaigns you've ever played if it goes great. So that's kind of one option for this. But I also think that you can work with a group of people that you really trust and who really trust you as a DM and like force these exciting betrayal tropes on them where you take a player aside and you try to blackmail them. And you can blackmail somebody into betraying the party in all kinds of ways. But the classic example is you kidnap a family member or a loved one. And now your player has a ton of agency. They can tell the other party members that this is going on. They can try to kill you. They can try to go and find where you're holding their family member, like a Taken-style game suddenly. You know, you planned on this being a betrayal game, but actually it's Liam Neeson saying, like, I have a very specific set of skills and I'm going to divine smite my way and kill every single person you know and steal back my loved one. Like, I think that could be really cool and you have a lot of player agency, but you're coming to this player with a really kind of nasty tactic as a DM where you're forcing their hand a little bit and you need to know that your players are going to be okay with it. But I think blackmail maybe can be on the table sometimes, even though it's a, like a major warning. Make sure you know your players, make sure they're comfortable with it. I think that this idea is really compelling because it demonstrates a potential scenario that could come up in a game that could just be a disaster. Let's imagine a scenario where the dungeon master has almost no tact at all. And they just kind of like force this on one of their player characters. Oh, thanks for including family members in your backstory because the villain just took them hostage and now you need to do everything that I say. And like you didn't ask the player whether or not they thought that this would be cool for their player character. 
I think that one way to turn this from being potentially a disaster at the table where the player just feels like they have no agency and you're forcing them to betray the other characters at the table versus this awesome arc is don't just decide this is going to happen to the player character. Take them aside and be like, hey, what do you think about me introducing motivations into the game that could cause you to act against the other party members? If that's something they're open to, perfect. This is going to go way better because now instead of the player being oriented against you as the dungeon master who's trying to set up this cool betrayal and they're trying to thwart the betrayal because they didn't want it in the first place, now they are working as a co-author with you to build up suspense and foreshadowing for this awesome moment at the end. Like we said earlier, the more ways that you can signpost that this character is going to betray the group at some point because of their motivations, the more satisfying it will be. Mystery novels are more satisfying if you could have noticed the hints along the way, but just missed them. I think this makes a lot of sense, where you can still use a lot of these ideas of working with your players to make forcing a betrayer on a player much more palatable. But I do have a couple ideas for maybe a way to do that that keeps it as much of a surprise as possible. As a DM, I do definitely relish those moments where I get to surprise somebody at the table and I watch them have to react in real time so that they're role-playing a moment in character just off the top of their head. I think that's a really fun experience. So here's how I might do it. Session zero, while we're determining what everybody's comfortable with at the table, I might have a list of things that could happen in the campaign and if you're not comfortable with them, let me know. My list might include betrayal, mind control, enhanced interrogation techniques or, you know, violent interrogations of NPCs, interacting with loved ones from backstories. And now I've got betrayal and interacting with love stories as something to see if people are comfortable with it. Uh, and if they're not comfortable with it, I won't put it in my game. But if they are comfortable with it, seven, eight, nine sessions later, they don't have it at the top of their mind. And I can now spring this blackmail on somebody, this betrayal, dealing with a loved one, right onto my players. And I know that we have a history, we're good friends. This could maybe work out really well and let them still have agency and interact with the scenario in many different ways. But put the idea in their heads that this kind of blackmail betrayal is a possibility. What do you think, Ray? I do like the idea of... Um, hiding the things that you want to do in a list of other things. This is kind of what we were talking about earlier, where you, you sprinkle hints along the way, where once you know how the story ends and you read through those hints back from the beginning, they jump out at you. So a player who's reading maybe your session zero document of like, hey, these are the different types of games I might want to run. They might brush past that idea of betrayal in the beginning, but then going back and reading it after the campaign is completely finished, they might be like, oh, it was here right from the beginning. <laughs> if I had just paid more attention. I've been reading the Mistborn trilogy and there was one reveal in one of the books where I just felt so stupid for not <laughs> realizing what the hint was because it was right there all along. And that made the reveal, almost like the author betraying me, feel so much more satisfying because it was, it was personal. Oh man, it, it's my fault that I didn't see this coming. What an awesome twist. Yeah, exactly. It's, there's really these elements of 
oh, what could I have done differently, I think are really great. Keeps this agency in mind. You probably know your table pretty well. If your players like a game that's a little bit more intra-party combative and players maybe get in fights with each other and die, these are some kinds of things you can put in, and I think really successful, really well-thought-out ways such that you'll have some of the most exciting moments at your table. I think betrayals can really be something you lead up to that forever define a campaign. And if I had to repeat one last piece of advice to make sure that this betrayal that you're planning goes off really well and is a success at the table, make sure that everyone at the table is aligned around the idea of the party being victorious being an acceptable outcome. If the character that is planning the betrayal is only going to be satisfied if their character pulls off the betrayal, survives, and thwarts the other players at the table, you're setting yourself up for a zero-sum game where not everyone can win. And Dungeons & Dragons is about everybody being excited about the story that unfolded at the table. So make sure that you're not putting yourself in a situation where that can't happen, uh, because then the only possibility is that someone is not going to have a good time. There is a reason why common wisdom is to avoid betrayals at your table, but I think they can be really awesome when they're pulled off correctly. That's a really great point, Ray, and a great place to wrap up. Until next time, I'm Ariel Rasco. And I'm Raymond O'Connor. And thanks for listening to Running Off the Rails. If you enjoyed Running Off the Rails, please like, follow, and review our show on your platform of choice. Please follow our Instagram, Running Off the Rails, for notifications whenever we release a blog post, a new episode, or new content on the DMs Guild. If you prefer a specific type of content, please send us a message on Instagram. The jam you are listening to is Hoist by Andy G. Cohen, and you can find Hoist and more of Cohen's music on the Free Music Archive. You can find links to all of our content at runningofftherails.com or on our Facebook page, Running Off the Rails. Thank you.